beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, you remember we talked before about the gospel of Disney. It's the gospel that you, you've got to look deep inside yourself for the answers to, to life. You need to be who you want to be. The answer is in you. Well, when we read Galatians chapter 5, we see that Paul says something very different. Paul speaks about what is in us when we are not in Christ, and it's not pretty. It's nothing to follow. It's nothing to cultivate. It's nothing to, to base your dreams and aspirations on. Paul speaks about the works of the flesh, and they're ugly. And if you practice the works of the flesh, then what do you get? You get perversion, you get twistedness, you get idolatry, you get hatred, you get dissolution, a dissolute life. So the Bible comes to us with a real gospel. The Bible comes to us with the good news that the answer is not in us, praise God. It is outside of us. The answer is not to be who you want to be, but the answer is to be who God made you to be, who God has remade you to be. And so it's something, the answer is something produced in us by the power and by the Spirit of Almighty God. That's why Paul describes it as a fruit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's, a, it's something which the Holy Spirit of God produces. And our only hope to see the fruit is if the power that produces that fruit is present and active. Now think of of a branch cut off from a tree. Think of, a, of an apple tree and, and the branch is cut off and it's lying on the ground and it's rotting and it's dry and it's dead and it's dying and it's unfruitful. That's a picture of who we are outside of Christ. It's a picture of the natural man. It's a picture of the flesh. And there's no sense, right? I think we have some gardeners in the church. There's no sense going up to that broken branch, that rotting, dying, dead, unfruitful branch, and telling it to smarten up and produce fruits. That would be dumb because it won't work, because it can't. No matter how hard it tries, it simply can't. And that's what the Lord Jesus teaches us about our spiritual situation and reality. If you turn to John chapter 15, verse 5, the Lord Jesus uses the metaphor of a, of a vine. 15.5 of the Gospel of John. And he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, 
for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. The same kind of picture. You need to be in the vine. And not just physically. I mean, you can take a branch, you can graft it into a vine, you can bind it up with wire or with, with uh, cloth. And it can be physically grafted in, but that's not enough, is it? For a graft to really take, the life-giving sap has to go from the vine into that branch. The very life of the vine has to be flowing into that branch, has to be changing it and filling it with life and making it alive and fruitful. And that's what happens when we are grafted into Christ. It's not enough just to be physically, mechanically connected. It's not enough just to be sitting in the pew. It's not enough just to have your name on the membership lift. But something more has to happen. You have to be connected spiritually. By the power of the Spirit, the very life and love of Christ has to flow into you and transform you. And when that doesn't happen, And Jesus in chapter 15 of John is speaking covenantal language here. If there's no life, if there's no fruit, then that branch is only fit to be cut off and thrown away and burned. But then if you look at verse 7 of John chapter 15, verse 7 This is what the Lord Jesus says. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We don't have time to go into this deeply, but what you see throughout the scriptures here in John and throughout the the scriptures, you see that that spirit and, and word and fruit, they all come Together, look at verse 8. If you, you will bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples, says the Lord Jesus. You will prove to be my disciples by the fruit. And then you look at verse 9. What is the fruit that proves that we're disciples of the Lord Jesus? Look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my Love. Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Look at verse 17 of John 15. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So, summing up, If we're alive in Christ, if we're connected to Christ, not just physically, not just mechanically, not just outwardly, but in a living way by the power of the Spirit, by faith, we're united to Christ, then we are fruitful. And the fruit that we produce begins with love. Now, in Galatians chapter 5, if we return to Galatians 5 now, 
the apostle uses nine different words to describe the fruit of the Spirit because it's, it's just this amazing variety, every different aspect which is delightful and diverse and every kind of delicious and amazing. But we're going to deal just with the very first aspect of this fruit this morning. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And the first thing that we want to note is that the, the fruit of the Spirit the fruit the Spirit produces in us is the very character of God. If you turn to 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, 1 John 4, 8, look what the Apostle John says. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Think about that. God is Love. Now, God is a lot of things. God has a lot of attributes. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is just. He is forgiving. And these are, and many others, are aspects of his character as he relates to us unworthy sinners. And so, these are not things that would be so clearly manifest before the creation of the world and before the fall. In eternity, there is no exercise of God's mercy because there was no one to be merciful to. You need sinners, unworthy sinners, for that aspect of God's character to, to come out. And there are other attributes which describe what God cannot do. For instance, God is immutable. He cannot change. God is impeccable. He cannot sin. But love, out of all the attributes of God, Love is of the very deepest essence of who he is and what he does eternally. Before creation, there was no space and there was also no time. There's no before. We can't say, well, what was God doing a million years before creation? Because there is no million years before creation. In the beginning, Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, time and space are created together. God his eternity is not a very, very long line extending in both directions. God is outside of time. And so, in eternity, before the creation, there is only God. And sometimes people say, well, you know, that's probably why God made the world, because he was lonely. He needed people to interact with. Well, that's not true. That's not what the Bible says. That's not who God is. God doesn't need us. We need him. God exists eternally in communion, a communion of pure, infinite love in himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, pure, holy, eternal love. And that's the glory of the doctrine of the Trinity. Because without the Trinity, God cannot be love. Love needs a subject and an object. And because God is one God, and he is three persons in one God, he is able to live in communion and love in himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If you look at Islam, for instance, and how Islam understands God, Islam understands God to be not triune. And as a result, Islam's understanding of God rules out understanding God as being 
love. Because if there's just Allah, then there's no one to love before the creation. And so Islam understands God in terms of pure will. And religion, and that's what the word Islam means, is total submission to God's will. And how gloriously different is God, the true God, as he reveals himself to us in the scriptures. A God who is love. And therefore, a God who knows how to love us and how to make us share in his love. Now, what, what is love? We're fed a steady diet of TV and cheap romance, uh, badly written romances and, and, and movies, and we get a very, very wrong-headed idea of what love is. Love is not a passing emotion. Love is an eternal, enduring thing. What does God say? In the scriptures, his steadfast love endures forever. What did we read in 1 Corinthians 13? Love never ends. That's what love is. It is enduring. It is eternal. It is never ending. It doesn't run out. It doesn't depend on how I feel now or how I will feel in a year's time. Because love, real love, is not a question of what do I get out of this? Rather, true love is a total giving of oneself to promote the flourishing, the joy, the well-being of the other. That's very, very important, brothers and sisters, that we stop to think about this. In a world full of TV and, and movie ideas about love, we're taught that love is the experience of pleasurableness. I think that I just made that word up. The experience of enjoying pleasure in someone else. The other person gives me nice sensations psychologically or emotionally or physically, and that's love. And then when those emotions evaporate, when those emotions are no longer there, then what do we do? What do we say as human beings? We say, well, I, I, I don't love you anymore. When the relationship starts to go through hard times, when the perceived cost is greater than the perceived benefit, then all too easily we say to each other, there's no more love. And that fake love is nothing less than recycled selfishness. It doesn't deserve the name love at all. Real love is a total giving of oneself. What, is, what does God teach us in John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God gave. He loved and he loved by giving. He gave himself. He gave his life. He gave his blood. He gave his all. That's what love is. It is a total commitment to do what is the best 
for the life, the flourishing, the joy, the well-being of the other, no matter what the cost. It is a holy and a sacred and an unbreakable commitment to death. And so what does Paul write to the Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2? Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That's love. Now if you turn to Ephesians chapter 5, where I just quoted there, Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then the next question we have to ask, if that's what love is, what is love not. What's the opposite of love? Well, look at verse 3 of chapter 5. We just quoted verse 2. Look at verse 3 of Ephesians 5. Christ loved us. Walk in love. Christ loved us, gave himself up for us. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, lust, must not even be named among you as is proper among Saints. So the apostle is making a clear distinction here between true love and fake worldly love or lust, which is connected with immorality and impurity and perversion. Now, our city a few days ago raised the pride flag because in Canada or around the world, Pride Month is being celebrated. And the slogan of the LG TBQ movement, one of the slogans is this, love is love. And it really sounds very beautiful, doesn't it? Love is love. How can you be against people loving each other? Come on, what's wrong with you? Love is love. And what do they mean by that? Well, they mean this, every permutation and every combination of human beings and genders and biological sex and body parts which we find pleasurable is to be celebrated as love. Brothers and sisters, we ought not to be deceived. Romans chapter 1 makes it very clear that the more that human beings suppress the truth by our practice of unrighteousness, the more we reject the knowledge of God who reveals himself to us in his word and in his works in creation, the further we go away from God, the further we turn our backs on the light and embrace the darkness, turn our backs on true knowledge and embrace ignorance, the more sexual perversion increases and abounds. And you'll you read that in Romans chapter 1. There's this, it just goes down, 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 and the perversion increases and increases. Sexual perversion or confusion is a symptom of a world cut off from true love, cut off from the love of God. Now, how do we deal with that then? If we're living in this world, which is increasingly perverse and increasingly celebrates sexual perversion, and who calls anybody that doesn't celebrate it a bigot or a hater, how do, how do we deal with that? Well, the solution, brothers and sisters, is not anger. The solution is not judgment. The solution is not hatred. The solution is not to wrinkle up our nose and not want to have anything to do with other people. The solution is that we as God's people are to minister the love of God to broken and hurting souls. 
in the power of the word and the spirit. That's the answer. Because love not only encapsulates the very character of God, but we see in the second place that the church is defined by the fruit of the Spirit. The church is defined by the character of her God. Think about it. If all the light of the sun, not the heat, just the light, if all the light of the sun came to stay in your house, do you think your neighbors would notice? Kids, do you think that your neighbors would notice if the brightness of the sun and all its glory would come and stay in your house? Do you think some, the neighbors would kind of wonder what was going on, why your house was glowing so much and why all this light was radiating out from it? Well, that's what the Lord Jesus tells us needs to be happening in the church. If God, who is love, dwells in our hearts and lives in the church, do you think the world should notice? Well, turn to John chapter 13, verse 34. John 13, 34 and 35. And see what the Lord Jesus says. John 13, 34. The Lord Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, now, now pay close attention to this. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Did you see what Jesus didn't say? The Lord Jesus did not say, well, everybody's going to know you're my disciples. If you're always arguing and fighting about theology, if you're fighting about points of liturgy, if you're fighting about minor points of church polity, if you're gossiping about each other and judging each other and criticizing each other and minding each other's business, that's not what the Lord Jesus says is a mark of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not how he wants us to be known as his disciples. How ought the church to be known as the followers of Christ in a broken world full of conflict and injustice and hatred? The church ought to be known as an expression of, of the love of God, as a people who minister love, who live in love, who walk in love, who love love, and who serve one another and serve their community in the love of Christ. And so we need to ask ourselves the question, what does St. Albert City know us for if they know we exist? What are we known for in our city? And we need to be deliberately planning, working, living, acting, and praying that we might be known as men, women, and children who love, who walk in love. Now, for the last part of the sermon, I'm going to be walking through 
1 John chapter 3 and 4. So you might want to open to 1 John chapter 3 and 1 John chapter 4. We'll look at a few different verses. The first thing I want to call your attention to is 1 John 3 verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. The, the Father has given us the love. Romans 5, 5, Paul says that, that God pours his love into our hearts. It's something given sovereignly, graciously. It's not something you can buy at the store. It's not something you can develop yourself. It's not something that you can work really hard at producing from inside you. It is given. And if it is given, then we need to ask for it. God gives his grace and Holy Spirit only to those who constantly, with heartfelt longing, ask him and thank him for these gifts. Are you asking God to fill your heart, your marriage, your family, our congregation with his love? And this love that's given sovereignly, graciously, it changes us. We just read the first verse of 1 John chapter 3. It, it makes us into children of God. Because people see us, and they see God, and they see the character of God in his children. And in fact, real love is impossible unless we are children of the living God. If you just jump ahead to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, anyone who does not love, does not know God because God is love. And so, amongst many other things, the apostle is saying that the only way to walk in love, to live in love, is to be a true son or a true daughter of the living God, recreated, reformed after his image and his character. Real love is impossible if we're cut off from the source of all true love. Trying to love when we're cut off from God, when we're rejecting God, is like a lamp trying to shine when it's not plugged into the outlet. And that's why it's so heartbreaking to see believers neglecting the preaching of the word and the sacraments, believers deliberately absenting themselves from the, the, the assembly of the saints around the open Bible, believers keeping their Bible closed during the week and not spending time in Bible study and in devotions and in reading scripture and meditating on scripture, and then trying to live as Christians anyway. Because if you cut yourself off from the source then it is impossible to live in that love. If you look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, going back to chapter 3 now, 1 John 3, 14, the apostle tells us another important thing about this love. He says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. So, so love is a proof, an evidence of our regeneration. It is an evidence that we have passed from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of life, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. It is an evidence that God gives us that we are a new creation. 
So how do you see that in your life? Do you see the love of God growing in your heart, in your life, in your relationships? Because if you're connected to the Lord Jesus by faith, that's what you are going to see. There's something else which the apostle calls our attention to, and that's in chapter 4, verse 12 of his first letter, 1 John 4, 12. This is a very important one. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What is the apostle saying? People can't see God. God is spirit. So how can people see God? How can they come into contact with God? How can they know God? Well, the apostle says in 1 John 4, 12, God makes himself present and shows himself to the world. How? By the love that lives in us. And that's incredible. When people come into contact with us, when people interact with us, the Bible tells us that they ought to have the impression and the experience of being in the very presence of God himself. If you're thinking about the interactions you have with people that serve you at the store, or your neighbors, or people you work with that don't know the Lord Jesus, And ask yourself, when they come away from a chat with you, when they come away from an interaction with you, is it so that they can testify that they feel that they have been in the presence of the eternal love of the holy and gracious God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? God makes himself known in the world in his love, in the love which he pours into our hearts and and dwells in them. It's God so loved the world, says the scripture, that he gave his only begotten son. While we were yet enemies, says the scripture, Christ died for us. And so the love that dwells in us is not just the love for each other. It starts here. Charity begins at home. Love begins amongst the congregation of believers. This is where we practice it. This is how we we get better and better at loving. How we incite and spur one another on to love. And then with that practice and with that training and with that knowledge, we go out into the world and we confront unbelievers, not with judgment, not with whining, not with complaining, not with looking down our nose at them, but we confront those who do not know Christ with the love of the gospel. And we do that to everyone, even to people who mistreat us, even to people who trample on our rights, even to people who hate us and treat us unjustly. We love even our enemies. That's what the Lord Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute. He's not saying love your enemies in the sense of, oh, I just love hanging around with people that hate God. I I just really enjoy that. And, And I have a lot of communion with them. That's not the point. What the Lord Jesus means is this, that we love them with a real love. 
We desire their life. We desire their well-being. We desire that they would become our friends and brothers in Christ through repentance and faith. And so that love, that divine love, drives our interactions with people with whom we disagree, who hurt us, and who oppress us. And that should be evident in daily life, and that should be evident in what we tweet and what we post on Facebook as well. And then 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. 1 John 5, 2, where the apostle writes, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God, loving the children of God, go together. And loving God and our neighbor goes together with obeying his commandments. You know, some Christians say, well, it's just love, just love. I mean, if somebody's living in a way which doesn't please God, we'll just love them. We're not going to judge, just love all the time. That's not what biblical love is. Love for God, love for the neighbor goes together with obeying his commandments. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The love which God pours into our hearts is not just a fleeting emotional feeling which papers over and covers up every sin and everything which is offensive. No, Love which we get from God is a deep and abiding commitment to give ourselves fully to God and fully to our neighbor in every way which is pleasing to his will. That's the important bit. And that's why church discipline is love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes... Just waving at somebody can be an act of hatred. But running up to them and knocking them to the ground can be an act of love. If, a, if they're walking on the road and a city bus is about to run them over and you wave at them and wish them a good day, that's hatred, isn't it? But if you run and you push them out of the way and you fall together onto the sidewalk and they're bruised and they're upset, you've just loved them very, very deeply. And so, God the Father, says the Scripture, disciplines those whom he loves. If we're afraid to speak up when we see someone not walking according to God's word, then that's not love. What does the proverb say? If you don't discipline your son, you hate him. Saying stop, saying no, saying that's not good for you. That's not the way in which you ought to walk. That is a part of real and true love. So let's sum things up. What does the apostle say in chapter 3.18 of this letter? 1 John 3.18. He says this. He says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. You know, Reformed people can be very good at getting all the theology right and and that's awesome. That's what we need to get the theology right. And we need to be well grounded in the scriptures and, and in the confessions as they echo the scriptures. It's good to know. But it ought not to stop there. Let us not love in word or talk. You've got to build on it. It's got to become something which is implemented and, and exercised in real life. And so the question that the Holy Spirit puts before us this morning is this. Are you connected to the vine? 
It is not enough on that great day to say, Lord Jesus, I can write you a huge theological treatise about how I am a member of the covenant and how I ought to be gathered in public worship with God's people and and I've got all my theological jots and tittles in their place. The question is this, are you connected to the vine in a living and fruitful way? Is the life-giving, life-transforming sap, the power of the Spirit of God coursing through you, filling your heart, filling your life, filling you with the love of God, reforming you, transforming you, so that you, from glory to glory, reflect the very character of God? Well, if that's happening in your life, then what are you going to be like? Well, we read it, didn't we? We read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And this is what it's going to look like. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Is this a description of your heart? Is this a description of your character? Husbands, is this a description of your wife? Sisters, is this a description of your husband? Children, is this a description of your parents? You know, it's just a few verses, but they're rather frightening, aren't they? Because who is like this? Who manages to live like this? How are we supposed to grow in being like that? Well, you know the answer, don't you? We've gone through Galatians a number of times in larger and smaller measure. The answer is not to try harder. The answer is not to say, I've got to be a better Christian. I've got to love people more. I've got to just give more energy and more effort. The answer is not to look deep inside. But the answer is the answer that we hear from this pulpit and we've heard from this pulpit for every year of this church's existence. The answer is to look outside of ourselves, is to look to the Lord Jesus Christ, to constantly and with heartfelt longing ask God for his grace and for his Holy Spirit, to plead with God, oh God, renew me after the image of Christ. Make me more like your son. Connect me to Christ for the power of your spirit through the word and through the sacraments. Pour your love into my life. Brothers and sisters, God has made it all available to us. It's all free. He gives it freely. And he's installed these massive pipelines to just pour his love and his grace and his spirit into our hearts, into our souls, into our marriages, into our families, into our church. All we got to do is connect. All we got to do is, is open up the taps. We've got the Word. We've got the sacraments. 
And through prayer, we open those taps, and the love of God pours into us through the word and through the sacraments. And so, believer, is that your longing? Is that number one on your priority list? Is that what you want out of life, to be more like Christ? Is that your plea, O oh Lord, let your love pour and fill and transform and heal and restore and overflow from me to touch the lives of people around me? So that, praise God, when people see us and when they, they know us, they can see clearly that we walk by the Spirit, that we live by the Spirit, that we keep in step with the Spirit, and that the fruit of the Spirit is love. Amen.